0: Welcome to the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day. On this day, Yeshua stood on the Mount of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and declared, let all those who are thirsty come to me and drink living waters. Today, we want to celebrate together with you the living waters that flow from us, from him. We invite you to celebrate this day with us today. (laughs) Kola dona yala maim al maim rabim Kola donaiba koach elaka wotirim Kola dona yala maim al maim rabim Kola donaiba koach elaka wotirim Hadzame, yo wo he ste, mein beschaefer Nisheshma, yo wo he da, mein fein china, The des ZDF I'm of זורם מכיסו, נשמחה ונגילה בו יש נהר שזורם מכיסו, נשמחה ונגילה בו עצמא יבוא וישתה, מים בשפע מי שישמע יבוא וידע מה עם חיים חינם, מה עם חיים חינם כמה יקח
1: אסתך
2: Welcome to the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the eighth day of the Feast 2021. The Days of Elijah has been the theme of this entire week. And Barry, there couldn't be a better location to celebrate the ending of that feast than right here. Where are we
3: right now? Amen. We are right here in Kehilat HaKarmel, a Messianic congregation on the top of Mount Carmel, the highest part of the peak. And of course we know the story, it was on Mount Carmel where Elijah confronted the priest of Baal and God revealed himself through fire. So we are just a few
2: meters possibly away where at that time three thousand years almost ago elijah was calling down fire from heaven and our prayer for today is that god would do it again that the fire of god would come down on our service we had a powerful time of worship already with sarah lieberman Thanks so much. You have been singing about chinam, the fresh water that the Lord wants to give us for free. And that was the word that Jesus spoke at the southern steps. That has been our first day at the feast where Jesus said, Everybody who is thirsty, let them come to me. And streams of living water will flow
3: out of the very innermost being. So what is waiting for us today, Barry? well we're looking forward to a powerful message from one of my favorite teachers peter sukahira who this is his home congregation he's one of the co-founders and we have worship with from karen davis also one of the co-founders of this congregation that's now 30 years being a witness for jesus on this mountain
2: amen father we want to welcome you today in this place we want to welcome you in every living room where people are watching us, that your presence might fill those place, fill this place. And we ask you, Father, to come down with the fire of God and meet us today in the name of Yeshua, we pray. Please enjoy the program today. Thank you so much, Sarah Lieberman, one of the Israeli worship leaders. And uh, Sarah Lieberman was part of this congregation for many years. And she has blessed many people with her worship throughout the world. And Moimir, um, this has been a very unique feast of tabernacles. And there was in particular one segment that we introduced this year, which I felt was very
4: important. Tell me more about it. Indeed, again, I also found it uh, quite interesting and important. We ran each day a short segment about the history of Christian Zionism. And the reason is that we wanted to show that this is not a novel phenomenon, as somebody would uh, say, but uh, already believing Christians uh, hundreds of years ago understood the plan of God for Israel and its role in the salvation of uh, the whole world. So we are telling each day about Christians who helped make this Zionist vision a reality. And it started with the
2: translation of the Bible in modern languages with the Reformation, where people discovered God's eternal plan with the Jewish people, and that's how they discovered that they should support Israel. And today we have a very exciting passage about Christian involvement with the Exodus ship as they brought Jews back from Europe to the land of Israel. Please enjoy.
5: The restoration of the nation of Israel is one of the greatest miracles of our time. For many centuries, Christians foresaw through biblical promises this exciting event. They spoke, wrote, and talked about this future restoration. Today, they're called Christian Zionists. This
6: is their story. When you look at the history of uh, the Christian Zionist movement alongside the history of the founding of Israel, there's an important moment in 1947, a year before Israel was reborn, when the United Nations sent a special uh, committee here, UNSCOP, to investigate what the conflict between the Arabs and Jews over the land was. And there were two Christians, uh, Reverend John Stanley Graul and Reverend William H. Hall, who had a big influence on the committee's decision to to allow the formation of a Jewish state when this UN special committee on Palestine arrived in the land, the local Jewish leaders were concerned that they were a little too pro-British because several of the members of the committee were like Canada, other British Commonwealth countries. But uh, at the same time, the committee came here to hold hearings. There was a ship of refugees, the Exodus 47, trying to get in with over 4,000 destitute Jewish refugees, and it became worldwide news the way the British attacked this ship John Stanley Graul with a a Methodist minister who had become known to the Zionist leaders in America that he was for a Jewish state so he was recruited to be the one non-Jewish a Gentile member of the crew on the ship and he was smuggled to Jerusalem after everyone else on the ship was uh, was arrested and sent back to Europe he was smuggled to Jerusalem to testify to the committee how uh, brutal the British had been in in attacking the exodus, and his uh, testimony was very influential on the committee to say, hey, we need to form a Jewish state here. Uh, At the same time, this uh, Reverend William H. Hall, he had been here in the land serving in ministry for already 10, 15 years, had become uh, very much on the side of the Zionists. He had seen and witnessed himself Arab atrocities against Jews, and he went to Justice Rand, the head of the UNSCOP committee, uh, who was a fellow Canadian, and you know they feared he might be very pro-British in his decisions, and but uh, w- William Hall convinced him of the justness of the Zionist cause, and uh, uh, over a dinner on the balcony at the YMCA here on King David Street. And uh, he also submitted a letter as testimony to the um, uh, UNSCOP committee of the justness and the biblical basis of the Zionist cause. And uh, we really have to look back at him and Graul as Christians who were there in the right moment, who had an influence on this committee and caused it to turn away from say, handing it back to the British or other options and saying, we have to form a Jewish state. There'll also be an Arab state, but without them, that decision probably would not have come out. When we look at uh, John Stanley Graul, he had a reputation among the American Jews as someone supporting their cause and they used him at a very important moment and a very important role that turned out to be one that had great influence in the founding of Israel. And even William Hall found himself in a position where he was bold and, and innovative in going to, to the head of the, the committee and saying the, the cause of, of Zionism is just and it's biblical and we need to support it. And William Hall's letter, if you read it to the UNSCOP committee, is as good a statement of Christian Zionism as you'll find John Stanley Grau and William Hall are examples of Christians who found themselves in the right place at the right moment to make a difference in Israel's history the destiny of the Jewish people and they provide inspiration today and I, I invite people to even to go look at William Hall's you can find it online William Hall's letter to the UNSCOP committee and it's as good a statement of Christian Zionist belief as there is
2: Normally when there is no COVID-19, we have worship leaders from all over the world joining us for live worship here in Jerusalem. Of course they couldn't come this year, so they produced for us this amazing video that you just saw a few moments ago. Thank you so much for Mike Mann for organizing that. And Nicole, we are here in Haifa, which is a very important city for the Christian Embassy. As a matter of fact, one of the most important uh, projects the ICJ is carrying out takes place here.
7: That's right, Jürgen. We have here an assisted living facility for Holocaust survivors that we uh, began about a little bit more than 10 years ago. And it's a very special place where survivors can come, and we hope to bless them and make the end, their end years, their golden years, beautiful together.
2: And you have been meeting with the leader of the towers and with our own staff person there, and you had a conversation with him, right?
7: That's right, and we're gonna be able to see that now.
2: All right, be blessed as you watch. You
5: know, when we talk about home, the first association is to speak about family. And this home indeed has become family for the survivors. started in 2010 Shimon Shabak who directs today this house he had a small soup kitchen here in this neighborhood and he saw that Holocaust survivors were coming to his soup kitchen and he felt if there are needy Holocaust survivors we need to do something about it and he asked us to come and he showed us a small apartment where he wanted to host 13 Holocaust survivors he said can the Christian Embassy help us to purchase that building I looked at the entire building which was a 4 story building. I felt the Lord talk to me and I said, Shimon, why don't we buy the entire house? I was driving away from Haifa and thought, oh my gosh, what did I do? And how do we ever get this money together? I was pleading with the Lord, Please help us. We have five months time to get the money together. For me, the the biggest miracle was to see within two weeks people were sending us so much money like never before that after two weeks we could purchase that building. And within those five months which we had, we could even purchase two buildings. I
8: also see that there is <laughs> a God's hand in this place. And for the fact that the church is not allowed to be able to get rid of this place, אז אני רואה במדרגה ראשונה את הדבר הטוב ביותר שקורה ולא סתם באים לפה בני נוער, חיילים, שהם שומעים שנוצרים הם מחזיקים את המקום, הם מתנדבים במקום זה מראה שאפשר גם את ההיסטוריה לשנות בצורה טובה והשגרות הנוצרית היא דוגמה לכל הנוצרים בעולם איך אפשר לעשות דברים אחרת ואתם עושים את זה גם ככה
5: What I could see is that this house is providing an inner healing to those people to deal with their past in a in a positive way. You know, as a German to see this home and it's very humbling in many ways. You come from a country which. Uh, wrote the darkest chapter of Jewish history and today to be here and to see that you are able to open a new page in the life of the Jewish people it's that's, that's very touching
7: ah, thank you. <laughs>
5: people from all over the country they are applying we want to be at the home for holocaust survivors and the very sad story for me is that many of them we have to tell no we don't have the finances to add more people to it so it's really my vision that by the end of this year even we have 100 people here or that we can expand this house here in this next few years uh, even for a couple of hundred survivors
7: Today I'm here with our friends in Haifa, with Yudit Setz, my co-worker, the Deputy Director of ICEJ Aid and the Director of our Holocaust Survivor Projects, Shimon Sabag, the CEO of Yad Ezer Lechaver and the Director of the Haifa Home, and Renata Kaufman, who's a Holocaust survivor and a resident of our home, and we're so glad that you're with us, Renata. Thank you for being here. Thank you, all of you, for being here. Seventy-nine years have passed since World War II. And there's still 179,000 Holocaust survivors living in Israel and facing, even till today, the traumas of what happened so many years ago. They're the heroes that built this nation. They raised families. They've been those who were the building blocks of Israel as it is today. And we've had the privilege of working with them over the years. They've started careers. They've uh, they've succeeded in many ways and yet as they're aging they still do need our support. UD perhaps you can tell us how we at the ICEJ have been able to reach out to this very special community.
9: We started to create a very special model actually 11 years ago which is very unique in Israel. We call it Haifa Home but what it is it's actually an assisted living community. People living in two streets Holocaust survivors, uh, and we talk about Holocaust survivors who don't have the means to, to live in a, in a nice place, because it's very expensive here, and it's Holocaust survivors who are often very lonely, sometimes they don't have any f- children, or they have no family support at all, and it's been a great privilege for us to uh, to work with them, not just to donate money, but to be here and to really get involved in their lives and to serve them and to love them. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're reaching out. So I imagine there's been many challenges and many joys along
7: the way. What's been the most inspiring thing for you to be a part of this project?
9: I think, you know, what's been the most inspiring, Nicole, has certainly been that uh, that we actually, this family, I talked already about the Holocaust survivors we have here. But besides that, we have an Israeli staff from all walks of life in israel arabs jews Mm -hmm. uh, secular uh, religious plus the team of icj christians from the nations Mm -hmm. who work together as a family and especially the last year you know we had corona was a very difficult year Mm -hmm. lots of isolation even for people who live close together but Mm -hmm. we as the icj team that works here on the ground were able to to meet him every day we were able to Mm -hmm. see what an impact we're actually making in this place. And that is, for me, I think the greatest joy and the greatest highlight.
7: That's so exciting. I remember when we first came here and uh, met Shimon. Shimon, we met you in 12 years ago. I remember that the video you played in my house and that you're familiar with it today. And suddenly you ומבקשים עזרה באוכל ונדהמת מהמצב ואתה איש חזון והחלטת שצריך לעשות מעשה וכך נולד בית החם הזה. והזמנת אותנו גם כן להשתתף, שותפים ומה זה שיש נוצרים ויהודים שעובדים ביחד בדבר כל חשוב?
8: אני שנה שלח לי מכתב השבועות הנוצרית שזה דרך כלל לא אופייני לי, אבל כנראה זה היה יד אלוהים בנושא, ששלחתי מכתב השגרות הנוצרית, ומאז הדרך שלנו שתלבה בצורה כל יפה, שהרבה ניצולי שואה שחלקם עברו קושי גדול, קשה מאוד, וגם בגילם המבוגר היה להם קשה, והיום הם מזל שהשגרות הנוצרית עירים את הדגל טוב שיכול שואה. הקימה פה מתחם שגרים בו מספר רב של ניצולי שואה, וגם מפה עוזרים גם להרבה ניצולי שואה שחיים בבית, והשיתוף פעולה בנוצרים נוצרים ויהודים הוא ערך נוסף, שבה רואים הציבור בישראל רואה את האהבה של הנוצרים, שמסיים רבות לטובת הניצולי שואה, שזה גם מראה את האהבה לזולה.
7: נכון מאוד, זה ממש מרגש you have just recently made Aliyah, recently, eight years ago, and uh, you've come to the home just in the last year. What brought you to the home, and how is it for you to live here?
10: Well, I was in a situation that I had to find another place, and uh, I had a wonderful, I have a wonderful friend, Shoshana, who has helped me through the years. Always Sunday, she would come for an hour, and uh, we had really a wonderful relationship. And at the day, she was with me, and uh, I don't want to get into this whole thing, why, but it was so needed that I moved mm-hmm. in a fine place. And she said, I will call some of my people, uh, friends, And three of them says, Why don't you try the Holocaust house? And so she says, Let's drive down there and see. And she did all of the calling and got everything ready and she knows Shimon and uh, so there were two apartments available and I chose the bigger one. And of course I had so many things, you know, I brought things from America. And uh, I moved in here, and it's nothing but good. One blessing after another. What's been the best part about it for you? The Quietness. Mm -hmm. I need lots of quiet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I enjoy everybody who comes through my door. Mm -hmm. I love the people here, you know, and it's really uplifting. It's a community, yes? It's wonderful. I made some friends, you know, Mm -hmm. with people I visit. Mm and uh, get a little closer. But I'm kind of a loner, Mm -hmm. because I need time for writing. (coughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just i am happy, totally happy.
7: (laughs) (laughs) So Renata, I understand you were born in Germany. Maybe you could share with us a little bit about your memories of how you were separated from your family and of the wartime.
10: Yeah. I was born 1937. 1939, my father lost his job. Mm. All the Jews were fired from wherever they were. And uh, so my mother was a dressmaker, and she had quite a few customers in Cologne. Mm. So I was born in Essen, but then I was two years old, went to Cologne, where I grew up till I was 25. and. Uh, uh, they were not easy years, they were very difficult. Um, I will start with a teacher who warned me mm. uh, not to come to school anymore. Mm. And uh, my mother took me the next day to find a hiding place. And so I went to the East first, and she came very shortly after that, came to bring me to the South, where I stayed for two years. Mm. And uh, I have a little poem I wrote about that place. Shall I, is it I would town love now? to hear
7: you read that. Yes, this is part of your writing that you need the quiet for. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we'd love to hear some of it. Thank you.
10: My hiding place from 1943 to 1945. My camp was a house in a village, quite quaint. A place to hide, but not by a saint. A place where many fled from the terrors' groan. But under this roof was a war of his own. Prostitution, abortion, physical abuse. Here lived a lady with a very short fuse. She beat her children, now I was here too. She beat me unmercifully for things I didn't even do. My back was injured, my mind deranged. So many things this bitter war changed. My parents away didn't know if still alive, but mother came back. Father did not survive. They beat him with rifle butts and split his skull. He died a murderous death, so vicious, so cruel. We did live on but spirit and soul broken and marred from life's unrighteous school. Mm. Yeah, that was uh, a very bad time in my life. Mm. Lonely, Mm. hurting, Mm. scared. Mm. And uh, I become so afraid of people, of men, that I really carried it until my thirties, the fear, mm-hmm. you know. And I always thought, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I, that world is not for me, mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. But I had to learn to adjust to it. Mm-hmm. And when I was 25, I went to America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I stayed okay, 50 well. years. I came to Israel. Oh, I was seven, and I wanted just to come and look. Mm-hmm. How is Israel? How is life in Israel? And yeah, I can live here, sure. You know? And so I was comfortable to come to Israel.
7: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for sharing and being with me here today and sharing with our friends around the world. And thank you once again so much to our friends around the world You have really made all of this possible by your generous giving. We thank you for your prayers and your support, and we look forward to having you here visiting us sometime in the land when the corona allows. God bless you.
11: ¡Qué poderosa es la estrategia! de el Señor, la así poderosa es! Su mano reina en alto, su mano reina en alto. Todos juntos cantemos con gozo a Dios. Todos juntos cantemos con gozo a Dios. Dios aquí y exaltemos a su nombre glorifiquemos a Dios aquí y exaltemos su nombre todos juntos cantemos con gozo a Dios cantemos con gozo a Dios todos juntos cantemos con gozo a Dios De júbilo y de salvación De los justos del Señor De júbilo y de salvación De los justos del Señor La diestra de Allen poderosa es La diestra del de Señor La diestra de Hashem poderosa es Su mano reina en alto Su mano reina Oh. Tu Dios en medio de ti tu poderoso es Él se gozará Cantará por ti Callará de amor Y te salvará Roni, Roni valación, Ariu Israel Gidear sin pecore Paquero Israel Pues Hashem ti tu castigo Adonai, en medio de ti, poderoso es canta, canta, con calición, regocícate, Israel.
6: Thanks to our friends in Bolivia for that wonderful worship song. Uh, Jürgen. again, Bolivia is one of the largest contingents in the feast this year. We really appreciate that. Uh, but we need to talk more about where we are now here on Mount
2: Carmel. Yes, we are here at Kehilata Carmel. And as a matter of fact, we are for the first time here in a local Messianic congregation to come with a main event out of the Feast of Tabernacles to the nations. We couldn't do it practically in the years before. Too many pilgrims. Too many pilgrims. And uh, one of the blessings in disguise was indeed that we could do things like that take the feast to other locations. But Kehila Takalmel has been a, a real partner and friend with us in recent years, in, part, in particular uh, the partnership to Pastor Peter Sukahira, who has been a, a, a beloved speaker at our Envision conferences at the Feast of Tabernacles. He has been a weekly guest at our global prayer gathering, and we really felt we are a kindred of spirit. But not only that, there are also amazing people here. We have Karen David, Davis with us today. She and her husband together with the Sukahiras. We are the founders of this ministry and I'm so delighted. We have uh, Daniel Sayak today with his steel wife Luann and uh, he's the lead pastor today and he will greet us in uh, just a few moments. Yeah, we also want to mention uh, Peter's
6: book Equip. It's a new book uh, that's just out. We r- highly recommend it as well as the book The Elijah Legacy. It really fits with Our feast theme this year, Days of Elijah, written by David Davis. David and Karen, of course, came here to this area in the uh, late 80s in 1991, 30 years ago. They Mm. helped found this congregation with Peter and Rita Sukahira. It's so nice for them to be hosting us here today. It's great to be with them. You can get both of these books uh, at our ICEJstore.com. ICEJstore.com. We highly recommend them.
2: And now it's a great joy to welcome Daniel Sayak. He's the Baal the uh, lead pastor of the congregation. And again, thank you so much for having us here today.
6: Please. Thank you, Dan.
12: What a blessing that uh, uh, you can host uh, uh, this event of ICAJ here. in this congregation, at Carmel congregation. Uh, I was asked to share a little bit about the history uh, of this congregation, and it's amazing. I was thinking about Nehemiah when he came to Jerusalem and he saw the broken walls, something happened in his heart. This burden was just captured his heart and God used him to restore the walls of Jerusalem. And that's actually the story of Keilat Carmel. Years ago in America, David and Karen Davis uh, had on their heart the burden to come to Israel and to help people who were struggling with drugs and alcohol, but also people that were living on the street. And after the first Gulf War, uh, the Lord opened that work here in Haifa. And what happened, it was Jews and Arabs came to the house and the power of the Holy Spirit touch their life and their life began, start to change. And it was amazing because Jews and Arabs, something that it's uh, usually cannot work together, but with the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Yeshua, that's something that can happen. And what took place in the house, it was a Bible study. A Bible study that drew many young people that were hungry for the word of God. And actually me and my wife were part of that. And and later on, God brought uh, uh, Peter and uh, Rita Tsukahira, and together God called them to start Keilat Carmel here on Mount Carmel. And uh, and I wanna tell you that uh, one of the pillars vision that we have in this congregation one of them is Isaiah 56, that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, And we believe that God is calling the nation and we hopefully soon you can fly and come back to Israel and come to Mount Carmel and pray with us. Also we believe that the Lord is calling us to continue the vision of the one human, Jew and Gentile as one in Messiah, as it says in Ephesians chapter two but also on our hearts is to reach out to the needy, those who are broken, those who are hungry. And there is different ministries here that reaching out with food and clothing and continue to help those who are living on the streets. And other things that God put on our heart is to raise disciples, Matthew 28. This is our calling. And if you think about our congregation, our hearts is to see one day all Israel will be saved. And this is what we are praying for. This is what we are gearing toward. And, uh, and we ask you just to pray for us. So thank you for joining us in this. And uh, we're gonna worship now, uh, again with uh, Karen Davis. So let's worship.
1: Hallelujah. Such a joy to worship with you today with our One New Man band of Jews and Arabs. Hallelujah. And I want to lead you today in a song. This has been a song of this house. uh, For as we declare the praises of the Lord, we confront the powers of darkness with the weapon of our warfare, which is worship. Hallelujah. So let's worship together.
13: I'd like to say a big warm welcome to everyone to the top of Mount Carmel. You know, it's a really an honor and a pleasure to be able to speak to you, not only from Mount Carmel in Israel, but from uh, within the walls of my home congregation. So it's, uh, we're so grateful to ICEJ for, for bringing the feast up to, um, up to the hills of the north. And uh, we're just very happy I'm very happy, excited to be able to speak to you today. You know, these are are days of great restoration. And one of the restorations that is taking place is a restoration of the spirit and power of Elijah that is being restored to the world, really to prepare the way for the return of the Lord. I'd like to read to you uh, the last great prophecy in the English Old Testament, before we come to the New Testament, is found at the very end of the prophet Malachi. And I'd like to read to you the last two verses of of that great prophecy. And it has to do with something the Lord is doing today in our midst, bringing the nations together with Israel here for the Feast of Tabernacles, but also about restoring the altar of the Lord here on Mount Carmel so that men and women of faith can bring sacrifices that are meaningful to God, pray prayers of faith and see the fire of God's presence fall again to turn the hearts of their nations back to the living God. Turn with me to Malachi chapter four and let's read verses five and six. Here's what it says. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse here the spirit of the lord speaks about the spirit and power of elijah being restored to this world before the great and terrible day of the lord Of course, we know that that's speaking about the return of the Lord when Yeshua comes to earth once again to judge all of the nations, the great and terrible day of the Lord. The spirit and power of Elijah will be poured out again. And in this prophecy, it says that he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, I believe one of the great fulfillments that's taking place through this restoration is Christians everywhere, by faith in Jesus, we Christians in any nation, no matter where we're from, any nation, tribe, or tongue, we become the children of Abraham by faith. And I believe there's a, there's a great turning, a great restoration in the church around the world to turn the hearts of the children of Abraham in every nation, in every tribe, and every tongue, back to the fathers. And you know, the, the Bible is very clear about who it means by the fathers. Uh, it's not the fathers of the, of the Catholic Church. It's not the fathers even of the Reformation, not the fathers of the great evangelical or Pentecostal movements in this world. The fathers, biblically, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of Israel, and, and Christians everywhere become the children of these fathers by faith. I believe it's the spirit and power of Elijah in these last days that's bringing about that great turning, that restoration. And this Feast of Tabernacles and the ministry of ICJ is right at the center of it. We're honored to be a part of this. And we believe that in this, the fire of the Lord's presence is being poured out to turn the hearts of the nations back again. Now this congregation this year is celebrating its 30th anniversary. And when we look back over the years, there's so many memories that, uh, that uh, come to our hearts. I, I, I remember my wife and I were just new immigrants um, in Israel. having We came in 1987 uh, to this city, the city of Haifa. And uh, we were still new immigrants when the first Gulf War came in 1991. And after that, we joined with David and Karen Davis and began to pray, and we felt like the Spirit of the Lord was saying, start a new messianic congregation. And it wasn't long before we were invited here to the top of Mount Carmel. And by the way, this is the topographically the highest point on Mount Carmel. Just outside the door, uh, a little bit in front of me, is, um, is a grove of trees, and it's the highest point on, on the Carmel Ridge. And God made it possible... For us to to acquire uh, land here, actually, you know, it was, you know, it's it's actually quite a story. Um, the owners of this land were encouraging us uh, to build a house, purpose-built to worship Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, in the land of Israel. And as far as we knew, there had never been a Messianic congregation on the top of Mount Carmel, worshiping Yeshua in His own land in his own language, among his own people, at least for 2,000 years and maybe not even in New Testament times, <laughs> which meant we'd, to, to have a precedent for what God wanted to do on this, this, this mountain, we had to go literally back to the days of Elijah. Amen. And God from the, from the start just filled our hearts with this vision from 1 Kings chapter 18. Where we read about the confrontation between the prophet Elijah and the, the, the false prophets of his day, it says how he restored the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. In fact, I'm thinking maybe it'd be a good idea just to read a couple verses from that. Uh, take, take a look with me. First Kings chapter 18. let's just look at verses 30 and 31. This is that great confrontation here on Mount Carmel. Uh, the, the government of Israel was there, Ahab and his government ministers, the people who had the levers of political power in their hands. They were there, the false prophets who represented the religious establishment. They, they controlled the religion of, uh, of the land of Israel in those days. They were there, 450 of the false prophets, 400 who ate at Jezebel's table. And then of course the leaders of all the people and all the municipalities, uh, the, local, uh, the local movers and shakers were there. And here's what uh, took place towards the end of that day, late in the afternoon, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me and all the people came near to him. And he restored the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Here again, this restoration, an end time restoration, the spirit and power of Elijah to restore the altar of the Lord that in many of our lands has been torn down. Verse 31, it says Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Perhaps you can see this on your screen. I'm standing uh, on an altar in the midst of the sanctuary that was built with our own hands and and with the help of 500 volunteers uh, who came from 50 different nations years ago to help us build this house on the top of Mount Carmel. But if you can see it in your screen, this this altar is surrounded by 12 rough stones that were dug uh, from the foundations of this building to represent what Elijah did on this mountain so many years ago. But it says that these 12 stones, when Elijah restored the altar, represented all the tribes of Israel. And in the days of Elijah, that was a prophetic act because Israel was divided as a nation. There were 10 tribes here in the north, two tribes in the south in Judea, near Jerusalem, and, um, and there was civil war. The nation was, was divided. And we know that it would, it would lead them to corruption, idolatry, to weakness. They would be defeated by their en- enemies. Jesus himself said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. But Elijah restored the altar of the Lord. And in those days, he took 12 stones. And he said, every one of these stones represents one of the tribes of God's people. I believe there needs to be a restoration of God's altar before the prayer of faith and before the fire that comes from heaven to turn a nation back again. God is looking today for more than church builders in his body, he's looking for a generation of nation healers. This is the spirit and power of Elijah that brings all the people, all the nations, all the tribes and tongues together. So often politics can be used like a weapon to divide people, but Elijah came in another spirit. He brought the people together and restored the altar. Now, one of the other things that took place on this, on this mountain during those days is before Elijah restored his altar, before he prayed that prayer of faith, before the fire of God fell to change his nation, there were three years of drought in the land of Israel. In an agricultural economy as it was in those days, that meant national disruption. It meant people were dying It meant the economy had ground to a halt. It meant political unrest. It meant all kinds of of terrible changes for them as a nation. Three years of drought before Elijah appeared on the scene to restore the altar of the Lord, to pray the prayer of faith and the fire of God would come to turn the hearts of the people around. We're now almost two years into a global disruption that's known as the COVID-19 pandemic, two years. I'm not saying this is gonna last three years. Please don't mistake me. But without that drought, there never would have been an altar of the Lord. There never would have been a confrontation. There never would have been a prayer of faith. There never would have been fire from heaven. The drought prepared the hearts of the people. It brought about a desperation. It revealed a hunger. It it touched a nerve in the hearts of the people. So it is today. Please don't think that this pandemic, as awful and terrible a scourge as it is, as tragic as this pandemic is, please don't think that it's all bad or it's outside the sovereignty of God. May we see it as the drought that preceded the building of the altar. And I would pray that in those of you who are watching from your nations, if you have a heart for your people, that you will be among the ones who will say in your heart today, I want to rebuild the altar of the Lord in my city. It's not just for Mount Carmel. It's not just for the people of Israel. That's an example. It's a model. I want to rebuild the altar of the Lord in my time for my people. I will pay the price. What does it take to bring the tribes, the divisions of my people together as one? Again, God is looking for nation healers. You know, when Elijah left, his mantle came down from heaven. And there's a question today, who will pick up the mantle of Elijah today? If there will be Elijah before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, who will pick up his mantle today and rebuild the altar of the Lord and be ready to pray the prayer of faith So that the fire of God can be restored to the nations and once again, the hearts of the people, all peoples, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will begin to turn towards the living God and worship him once again. May you take these words from Mount Carmel, hide them in your heart and may the Lord use them to change your life and to direct your ministry and your steps in the days ahead. You know, we have an important time of prayer and I'd like to invite Pastors Malcolm Heading and Danny Syag, if they join me here on the platform and we're going to pray for you, that God's spirit, the spirit and power of Elijah will be poured out upon you today and that you will be among those ones who will restore the altar of the Lord in your nation and in your time. Pastor Malcolm, please lead us in prayer and then Pastor Danny.
14: Father, we thank you for this word that has come forth today. A word that goes straight to our hearts. For we know that what happened on this mountain in the days of Elijah was true, was powerful, was amazing, and was restorative. We feel touched by the word of God. We need, as never before, the fire of your Holy Spirit to come upon our lives. We cry out to you, remembering that your word declares that Elijah was a man who had a nature like that of ours. Therefore, we are encouraged. We pray for a biblical restoration. That truth may once again fill the house of God. Here in Israel, throughout the world, we pray for a personal restoration. That the fire of God will sanctify us, make us holy, that we may be a people pleasing in your sight. We pray for a national restoration upon this great nation, this nation of the fathers. Pour out your spirit, we pray, upon the nation of Israel. And we pray for the churches throughout the world this day that you would move in the power of your spirit, that fire may come again in the house of God, that preaching may be powerful, that men would repent and find the living God. We ask it in the name of Yeshua. Amen.
12: Lord Israel needs your presence. Lord, we need the fire of your presence in our nation. Lord, thank you for your promises that we can stand on your promises and believe, Lord that you will bring revival to this nation and not only to this nation for the nations of the world. And I want to thank you for the story of Elijah that you 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 left us in your word to learn. But we know that it didn't stop only with Elijah. It continued with Elisha that wanted double of the anointing. You wanted more. And I pray, Lord, that you will raise up generation that will seek your face, that will not be satisfied with what they have now. Lord, that they will be so hungry for more of you, more of the anointing. And Lord, I pray for all of us even here, Lord, that you will release fresh anointing upon us. Lord, that we can touch this this generation with your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that we can pray with this confidence that you promise and you will do. I pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.
1: so yeah. And all
2: Well, this was a powerful message from Peter Sukahira, and he spoke about restoring the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Uh, We have been asked many times by as Christian Embassy why we are having, for example, an event like this at a Messianic congregation, why do we reach out to Messianic believers here in this land? But it's exactly about that, to restore our relationship to the fathers. What many people forget that the early church, the early Christianity was right here in this land, a Jewish church led by Jewish apostles who believed in a Jewish Messiah. And they opened that world to the nations, enabling them to believe in the God of Israel. And that's why connecting to the local body, to the local messianic communities, is connecting to the fathers of our faith, to the fathers of Christianity. And today I'm so excited to have one of the leaders of the local body here with us, uh, Joel Goldberg. You are the director of Netiva. Uh, Joel, what does Netiva stand for?
15: Well, first of all, Netiva means pathway. It's from Isaiah where God says, behold, I'm making a pathway through the mighty waters. Um, I believe that in, in that same passage, it says that God is doing a new thing. Mm. And I believe that the restoration, the returning of the Jewish people to the land of Israel is God's restoring life to the desert, to the wilderness. And the growth and the maturing of the body of believers in Israel is exactly that, the restoration of, of the growth and the water and the streams in the desert that God is doing today. And we watch it amongst the Messianic community now today in Israel. Yeah
2: when the Christian Embassy was established some 40 years ago I believe there were a few hundred Messianic believers. Today they say up to 30,000 believers and a lot of them are young people which is very exciting. I know that's what your heart is all about. So tell us a little bit more about Mm -hmm. what you are doing. Mm
15: -hmm. Well our heart is to reach out to the younger generation that are growing and um, many of them are struggling through their faith. On one hand, Um, They're wanting to be part of the people and part of the nation, which is very important. And on the other hand, we are somewhat rejected for our faith in Jesus. Um, So there is an identity struggle that every one of the teenagers needs to get through. Um, Plus, there is so few so they're needing to um, reach out to one another and be encouraged and strengthened and you talked about numbers but still that's a really small percentage of our community and they need to be encouraged challenged strengthened taught the Word of God and be um... uh, introduced back into the society Mm -hmm. strong and bold in their faith
2: and talking about society you know that's what the the what I see with the local young believers they are fully integrated in Israel, they go to the army, they are serving when they grow up as lawyers, as business people in different professions. Mm -hmm. And I was so touched just a few weeks ago, uh, you had a youth camp and um, I believe there were some 70, 80 young kids that were just ready to enter into the army. What is the challenge for a young messianic believer when he comes to the army?
15: well one of the challenges of the military is of course to bold, to mold everyone it's a melting pot for society but on the other hand how does a young man that is uh, a follower of yeshua of jesus continue to be a disciple of yeshua um, as a soldier um, there's a lot of challenges emotional spiritual physical um, sexual challenges for these young men and women so we want to address them we want to talk about them we want to talk about how can they be a light and a testimony and a change agent in their units that they're serving in and what do you see as the result of the work you are doing amazing stuff young men and women are are entering into the military stronger in their faith more secure in their identity and bold to share with other people around them so this is, this is our goal, and this is our purpose, and by God's grace, this is what's happening in the life of the teenagers. You know, we
2: said in the beginning that the local body is growing here in the land, and my wife and I, we are living here since more than 25 years, and mm-hmm. I do see there is a mentality shift among the believers, in particular the young people. They seem to me, far more secure in their identity and being a local believer than maybe their parents was. How do you see that?
15: Well, I agree with that. A lot of the... Israel is a young country and um, many of the parents and grandparents have been immigrants from the outside. Being an immigrant is always a challenge for a young person. Being a child of an immigrant is also a challenge because there's a generational and social and... um, uh, um, cultural yes. gap between the the older generation and the need for the young younger generation to belong is a real struggle. But then also also to belong to a, a people and also to stand out for your faith and to be bold about what you believe in is a serious challenge. So we want to encourage them that their faith in Yeshua. Has everything to do with being Israeli and being Jewish. It's not a foreign thing, it's not an outside thing. Even though others might come and say, you're an outsider, you're a foreigner. No, this is what God had in mind when He called the Jewish people to be His people. And what do you do practically in order to accomplish that? Well, um, we of course, bring them together, uh, encourage them, strengthen them, we teach them the Word of God. We want them to be bold and strong in their faith before they go out. So we do conferences and we do seminars, we do training for youth leaders, Mm -hmm. and we do actually two big programs, one one a 10-day program of preparing them for the military, Mm -hmm. and one even a three-month program of we talk about theology and apologetics and the struggles and the history and geography of the land Mm -hmm. so that they understand they're not they're not outsiders they're insiders influencing from the inside
2: and i can testify to that out of our own family experience three of our boys they went through some of your programs and they really have been built up in their faith and blessed by what you are doing And when we talked earlier, you shared an exciting vision for the young people here in Israel. Can you share that also with our listeners?
15: Yeah, yeah. I I believe that um, um, it's one thing to, to feel like you belong and that you're part of the people, and that's great. I think that's very important. But what really is the calling that God has for our younger generation? Is it just to be complacent? Is it just to be comfortable and, and feel like we belong and it's great? Mm-hmm. And I believe um, that this next generation, that these generations to come, you know, when God calls Jeremiah, Jeremiah is just the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And he tells him in Jeremiah chapter 1, he says, I have known you, I have sanctified you. And, but then he also says, I have given you unto the nations. Mm-hmm. And I believe that this younger generation is not... To be comfortable and complacent here in Israel and say, oh, well, we went to the army, we're good citizens, we're doing well. I believe that God is called and continuing to call this generation to be a light unto the nations. And that means, yeah, you know, feel free, feel comfortable. This is your home. This is good. But what is your calling for the nations? Who will go to Africa, who will go to China, who will go to Europe, which is lacking so much of the gospel? I believe that this next generation of Jewish Israeli believers in Israel will be messengers um, to the world. You know, when you share that with me, I'm getting goosebumps because. Me too. What you, <laughs> <laughs> yes, amen.
2: <laughs> but what it means, you know, Peter spoke about the times of restoration. Mm-hmm. And in a way, we are moving back in a time that didn't exist here in this land since 2000 years. Mm-hmm. You are speaking about a time when young people will leave the land of Israel again with the same good news like the Apostle did 2000
15: years ago. Absolutely. For the first time in 2000 years, you have homegrown Hebrew speaking Bible knowing Israelis that are called to be a light unto the nations just like the children of Israel have been before. So this, it's an historical moment. There, it's for 2,000 years, we have not had this situation as we have the today.
2: That's one of the exciting things to be here in the land of Israel. You see how God is fulfilling his world, and I would like to ask two of our leaders here at the ICJ, they are leaders in regard to the young generation, Joshua Gooding, our prayer coordinator, and Lidli Sironi, she's the director of our RISE department. And I would like them to pray for you, but also you. for the young people in Israel. And I want the people who are watching us right now in camera, uh, please be upstanding in your room, raise up your hands towards the screen, pray for Israel. How can people pray in an intelligent way for the next generation here? And
15: I believe that this next generation needs to be bold and strong, secure in their faith, not only knowing what they believe, but why they believe and how to defend their faith. Mm. And I believe that we, this generation, need to be there for them, to teach them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to challenge them, uh, to stand firm, to stand bold on, in their faith. Mm. So, yeah, this is what... I pray well, for our We generation. do this
2: right now. Please, Josh and uh, Lily, please pray with us for the next generation. And also for you, if you are watching us around the world, you are one of those young leaders. uh, What Joel just said, that also is so important for you, that as you know that you are called, that you are elected Ah. by God, that God has a mission for your life. This gives the destiny for your life and enables you to live a a Mm destiny-driven and a purposeful life in your generation. So please, Lily and Joshua, why don't you pray with us?
16: Amen, let's pray. Father, we lift up this nation to you, mm. God. We thank you for the people that are growing up here, Lord, in the knowledge of you. Lord, we take that word from Peter Sukahira of this generation being nation healers. Father, we thank you that they are gonna occupy every single space that they should occupy, governmental, in every sphere that they are supposed to encompass, Lord. We thank you that they're catching your fire. Lord, we just break all of those words over this generation about it being ineffective and lazy and falling away from you, God. We thank you that you are drawing them closer that you are filling them with your holy spirit god and that they will be so powerful for such a time as this lord i thank you for their individual destiny in this nation as the people called out and lord we speak life into their calling into their families lord into their education into the places that they will occupy in society and lord we bless them in the name of jesus Amen, amen, amen Amen.
17: I was uh, as we were. I was praying about this. Uh, what, what should we pray about? Uh, I got the scripture verse: Second Chronicles 17:16:9. It says this: For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking and searching for those whose heart is fully toward Him. Mm. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for oh, yeah. what. Uh, Joel is doing, Father, what you've called this man to, Father. Just ask God that you would continue to anoint him, Father, with your anointing, God, for this purpose. Mm. Lord, that he would be able to call a generation, Father, into that full hearted, wholehearted, seeking, wholehearted, fiery passion mm. after you. And Lord, everyone who's, who's uh, watching right now, all the young people who are watching right now, Lord, I ask that you would release your fire, God, mm. a passion oh, over right. their lives, Father, that they would seek you, that they would know you, that they would long to be closer to you with oh, all of their hearts. Father, I ask it's, it for, the, for the nation of Israel, for the young people here, and for the young people around the nations, in oh, Jesus' name.
2: Amen. 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 And now, Father, I do ask yes. you for protection for those young kids, Israeli kids, that just enter the army, yes. as they might enter into yes. conflicts, yes. into Gaza or to the West Bank or yes. whatever, yes. that your protecting hand yes. will be around them, and that you also give the peace to their yes. parents, that they know that you are neither yes. slumbering nor yes. sleeping, but yes. watching over their children in the name of Yeshua. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Joel. Uh, this was a powerful thank time you. with you. And we have next on this program now, you're seeing an exciting little film clip about what happened during this week. This was a very busy time for us as Christian Embassy, and we want to give you a little bit of backstage look what took place over this last two weeks. to the 2021 Feast of Tabernacles. I can't believe this really brings us to the end of the Feast of Tabernacles this year, 2021, the days of Elijah. I'm here with my fellow leaders here in Jerusalem, David Parsons, Vice President and Senior Spokesman of the ICJ, uh, Moimir Kalos, our Vice President for International Affairs, Barry Dennison, Vice President Operations in Jerusalem, and of course, Nicole Yoder, overseeing as Vice President all our projects we are carrying out. And I don't want to miss recognizing also David van der Waal, who is watching us on television right now. He's our vice president of finance. Unfortunately, he cannot come without, be with us uh, at this program because he's held back because due to COVID-19 restrictions. But this year's Feast of Tabernacles was, again, an adventure for us. We normally had a physical feast with thousands and thousands of guests from all over the world. We, again, were forced to bring the Feast of Tabernacles to you, to your living homes. And this brought something, a a complete new dynamic to our Feast of Tabernacles. David, what was this year's feast? Why why, why was it so unique to you?
6: Well, it was very wonderful and, and exciting to be part of it again. Uh, I think one of the things that really stood out this year was all the Israeli officials who gave us greetings. Normally there's security checks and a lot of scheduling and all to bring those leaders into our our building and, and in front of thousands of Christians. But this year they were able to provide greetings and we've never had so many president Isaac Herzog, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, uh, Defense Minister Benny Benny Gantz, the Minister of Tourism, even the new chairman of Yad Vashem. We also had the president of Honduras, Juan Orlando, uh, excuse me, the president of of Honduras, yes, Juan Orlando Hernandez, and the First Lady uh, giving greetings. So that was really uh, incredible. We've never had so many senior Israeli Mm -hmm. cabinet officials Uh, coming and addressing and using the feast in the Christian Embassy to speak out about uh, this new Bennett-Lapide government to speak to the Christian world. And we've also had an incredible number of uh, Christians around the world building sukkahs, holding watch parties, watching the feast. We thank all the people out there in the nations who've been doing this. We've been getting incredible photos that you have wonderful, wonderful sukkahs out there.
2: Yeah, and I think this really is uh, in a way a blessing in disguise again of the COVID crisis that you could have your own personal Sukkot celebration back home, and I think Moimir, your heart was beating higher when you saw all the nations. I think we never had so many nations joining us for the Feast of Tabernacles like this year.
4: That's right, and uh, if you remember day one we introduced all those who brought more than ten delegates, uh, the Minyan, Mm. so to speak, from the nations. Now behind us you can see eleven flags of the top eleven nations which uh, brought the most people, and let me just read them out to you. Number one is China. Over oh. 600 mm-hmm. people, and we have to recognize that they face special difficulties because of some of the restrictions in mainland China. They are still with us. Then the United States with 500, and then it goes on. Finland, Germany, the Philippines, Bolivia, United Kingdom, Taiwan, Australia, Switzerland, and Canada. All of them brought more than 100 people. So that's really unique. And let me just say one more thing. I would like to recognize an invisible team that is more than 50 people who are translating all these programs into 12 different languages. And they are not visible, but they are very well audible. And I just want to salute them and thank them. They are all top professionals, they are devoting their time and energy. And thank you for making this feast accessible to so many other people who don't speak English. Mm yeah they turned this really into a truly global feast and thanks to
2: all those translators and you know one of my favorite was that we had a new worship leader this year at the feast nissar francis from Nazareth and there's one worship song that is sung all over the world in the Arab communities, the name is called Salam. Uh, My wife actually helped to translate that song for the first time also in Hebrew and we had for the first time on our stage this song sung both in Hebrew and in in Arabic and we just want to give you a one-minute piece out of that worship song from Qumran. This was Shiloh and Hood and Nisar Francis, uh, one of the highlights uh, this year's Feast of Tabernacles. And Barry, what was for you the most exciting time at the feast this year?
3: Well, overall, one of the most exciting things was the fact that we had a 24-7 prayer sukkah. Hmm. The fact that people from all of the nations pick their hour, some nations pick the same hour every day, and so there's been ongoing prayer behind the scenes of this feast for this entire eight days and that to me is miraculous, and it's a great source of strength. And I think you know also, you are overseeing our staff here in (laughs) Jerusalem. Um, I
2: must say, they they did an exceptional job to make this feast happening.
3: No, we've got an amazing team. I thank God every day for every one of our staff individually by name, because Mm -hmm. they've done amazing. Yes. They are really a
2: hand-picked group of people that made this Feast of Tabernacles possible, and we know a big deal of gratitude to them. And Nicole, what was the highlight for you at all, the cherry of the cake of this year's
7: feast? You know, I was so inspired by the speakers from around the world, Juergen. Um, We each got an individual challenge Mm. to remember that each of us has a special calling on our life and to step into that calling in the power of Elijah. There's certain challenges that the speakers from around the world brought to us, whether that was making a decision to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, whether that was to take time before him, even if it means being in the desert, and Mm. so that we gain that time with him to have that anointing, and to count the cost, that it's gonna cost something to be a part of the purposes and plans God has for us. But it's very, very exciting. I'm gonna go out of here refreshed and with a sense of a renewed purpose, and I hope all of our friends around the world do too.
2: And I believe they definitely will do that. And this is also a good reminder for the people around the world. As you looked into our Feast program and platform, you can watch the content for another three months and half a year, depending what kind of platform you have been chosen. But uh, all this great uh, content will be be rewatchable and available for you in this coming month so make sure to use the incredible content more than 135 seminars that were available this year also the virtual tools and of course you can also re-watch those prayer sessions which I believe will be a blessing for you so this Content, the content of this year's feast was again extremely rich we have to give thanks to the lord for all those inspiring messages from around the world and there was one more thing that took place this year at the feast we had a global collaboration of our branches mm. and we, we found out this year's feast how talented and musical they are in the in those different countries we asked them to rehearse a Hebrew song. It was a Eurovision song that everybody knows here in the land of Israel. It's called Bet Amen, and we were sending that that song out to the nations, and uh, we asked them initially just to rehearse one short segment, and we were amazed to see that they went overboard with their uh, enthusiasm, and they actually recorded in in, in its entirety the whole song, and we brought forth an amazing video, Petfila, Amen," that was sung by. 30 nations from around the world, from Egypt, Turkey, Fiji Island to the African, Island, African nations, to South and Latin America and many other countries. You will be really blessed. This video already now has, I believe, between our different social media platforms, more than 100,000 views and it became a great blessing for the nation of Israel. Please have a look.
5: And now, please listen to the Israeli Eurovision song Beit Amen. Beit Amen is a prayer for peace around the world and was performed for this year's Feast of Tabernacles by over 30 nations around the world.
2: This indeed concludes the Feast of Tabernacles 2021, and we don't want to conclude that feast without saying thank you to a number of people. First of all, we want to really say thank you to the amazing staff we have here in Jerusalem. Uh, Our staff, they were working day and night during this feast time in order to make the Feast of Tabernacles possible. I would in in particular recognize the people behind the camera, all the TV crews that you never saw but made it possible that you could see this year's Feast of Tabernacles, the entire logistics team which was schlepping back and forth the different locations, our equipment, the people who will die day and night out at our chat sections, at our registration, often and many, many more here in Jerusalem who helped making that Feast of Tabernacles possible. Also, I would like to extend a great thank you to all our branches around the world. We couldn't have done this year's Feast without your help. Many of the seminars have been translated by some of our branches. They helped us with video editing, and and in many other ways, they have been a true blessing for the Feast of Tabernacles. I also want to thank you all, who are supporting the ministry of the ICEJ during the year, who are sponsoring us in the different projects that we do have in Israel. And I do ask you to please remembering us in this coming year, we are your embassy here in Jerusalem, even though the Feast of Tabernacles might have come to an end. Next year's Feast of Tabernacles, I promise you, will be an exciting feast again not because of the christian embassy but the lord says the feast of tabernacles it's my appointed time to meet with you here in jerusalem and either you can be with us physically or you can be with us only in a virtual way we know as you are connecting to jerusalem at at next year's feast of tabernacles you can expect like this year a special blessing from the lord The theme next year will be the land of promise. And we will speak about the land of Israel, about the exciting prophecies that are fulfilled on a daily basis right here in the land. We will take you to places which you have never visited before, but also we want to speak about the land of promise in your own life. You might face giants, you might face challenges and walls that keep you from the blessing that the Lord has with you. And we have speakers joining us from around the world that you help you to overcome those obstacles in your personal life, to make sure that you enter into your own land of promise, of your own life, your family, your church, and even your country. And Father, I do bless you for this year's feast. I thank you that you helped us to bring forth another feast of tabernacles from Jerusalem. I do ask you that you bless everybody who joined this year's feast, that you bless their families, that you bless their personal lives, even the churches that had those watch parties. And I ask you to bless those nations that decided to connect in faith with Yerushalayim, with Israel during this year's Feast of Tabernacles. May the Lord bless you and keep you out of Zion. And we look so much forward to seeing you next year again at the Feast of Tabernacles. Shalom. God bless you.